0: Well, maybe you've got a job that you really can't stand. Pastor Ed Taylor says, view it from God's perspective.
1: You might be asking the question today, why? Like, like, you don't like your job. You hate your job. Other people would love to have your job, but you have it and you hate it. It's just one of those seasons in life. You just don't like your job. And so even this week you were saying, you know, why am I here? Well, why am I here? Well, from the perspective of heaven, you're there because God has put you there. That's why you're there. God wants you to be in that place of employment. God wants you to live where you're living. God wants you to be where you are because literally he is bringing the church to the people in your workplace.
0: This is amazing grace. having a wonderful day. This is Abounding Grace, and today we draw your attention to a radical statement by Jesus that certainly caused quite a stir. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He was claiming to be God, and this declaration of deity is important for us to hear and receive. As we live in a day where this is debated and denied, here's Pastor Ed Taylor with today's message, Jesus, the Eternal I Am.
1: John's Gospel chapter 8 is where we are. John's Gospel chapter 8 and we are continuing on in our study in the Gospel of John. Jesus, you recall, is in the middle of a dialogue with some religious rulers because in chapter 8 it opened up with the, that woman that was caught in the midst of adultery interrupting Jesus' Bible study up at the Temple Mount area around the temple. Jesus so graciously and lovingly forgave this woman who expressed some type of repentance in the presence of Jesus, forsaking her sin, and yet the men that were responsible to lead the nation of Israel spiritually, the spiritual leaders of the day, the ones that set her up and took advantage of her, they too could have experienced the grace and forgiveness of God but instead decided to walk away in shame because of their sin and because that they were busted and wasn't, weren't willing to receive the love that came from Jesus who was standing right in front of them. They walk away, but remember, Jesus is up in the temple area. There's a lot of people, a lot of activity there, and there is another group of spiritual leaders that he engages with, that he dialogues with. He begins to have a conversation with them, and he lovingly takes them down the road of salvation and the love of God and why he's there. And, and you would think that people would just embrace Jesus, but most didn't. Some did. No. Remember in verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. There was an outpouring of belief, but most people didn't want anything to do with him, at least in the realm of the spiritual leaders. They were set in their ways and comfortable. Many believed, and for those that believe, you that are here today, those of you that have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, salvation makes all the difference in the world of how you see the world. It changes your perspective. As I'm sure there are some of you here today that you're looking at your lot in life right now, and you're not happy with it. You're upset. You might even have expressed some frustration with where you're at you you might be asking the question today why like like you don't like your job you hate your job other people would love to have your job but you have it and you hate it it's just one of those seasons in life. you just don't like your job and so even this week you were saying you know why am i here well why am i here well from the perspective of heaven you're there because god has put you there that's why you're there God wants you to be in that place of employment. God wants you to live where you're living. God wants you to be where you are because literally he is bringing the church to the people in your workplace. He's bringing the church. You know, this building, when you leave, is an empty shell. It's very quiet, and in some ways it's very eerie without people here. Now we have the privilege of having the kids here all week when they're in school, and it's very lively and vibrant most of the time of, around the year. But there are those times when the church isn't here. Maybe a few leaders are here. We might be doing some cleaning, and and it's you're the church. The building's not the church. You're the church. And you think, well, why do I have this job? Yes, to provide for the needs of your home. Yes, uh, to use your gifts and talents. But when you think about it, why am I living where I'm living? It's because of your neighbors. That's why God loves your neighbors, and He's brought the church into your neighborhood not 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 the church as this building but you you you're the church in your neighborhood and God is desiring for you to be the church you know why do you work where you work because God has you there there are people you're serving with the people you're working with God loves them and he wants them to hear the same loving message that you heard to receive salvation in their lives so we know that wherever we are, and whatever we do, whatever lot in life God has given to us, it is for the sole purpose of glorifying God. When you have that perspective, it changes you. It changes the way you look at things, and it opens your heart for others. That's where. Why is Jesus on the earth? Why did he leave glory? Why did he come and put on a human body? Why is he dealing with all these people that hate him, calling him names, digging at him? Well, hey, in a very real way, the same reason why you're on the earth in a human body. Jesus came to manifest love from heaven. He came as a sacrifice, laying his life down so that you and I could come back into a right relationship with God. And here he is with this group of religious people that are simply unwilling to listen to him. Don't, don't misunderstand me. They hear him. They hear his words. They process his words. They even respond to his words. But there's a big difference between hearing and listening. It's one thing just to have, you know, I hear what you're saying, but not to listen, not to receive, not to take in. I remember Jesus put it this way. He used the word "here," translated uh, in our modern version here in the New King James. But in Revelation, he, he said over and over again, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. I mean, you have to have an ear to receive what God says and then act upon it. And this group, they're hearing, but they're not doing. So pick up with me as we finish off our chapter today in verse 37, where we left off last time. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, Jesus says. But you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. So already there is a contrast between fathers. And, and they already well know who Jesus is referring to for his father. It's upset them already. They, they recognize that he is speaking of God. He'll explain it a little bit, but they know already. And then he says, you, the, I, I've come from my father, but, but you... You, you do what you've seen with your father. Now notice the next verse. They answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. They're tracking with him. They recognize, they immediately think, well, I identify myself by my father. My father is Abraham. I'm a son of Abraham. And what they're doing here is not unlike what you and I see today. And that is, they're identifying their spiritual life by their ancestry. They're saying, we are believers in God, and we are right with God, and everything's going to be fine with us related to God because we are Abraham's descendants. Abraham's our father. Abraham's our father. Now, in a very real way, they are true. This is a true statement. Their lineage is through Abraham going back all the way to Genesis. They are the children of Israel. They are the nation of Israel. They are the Jewish people. And in a very real way, this is true. However, Jesus is also saying to them, it's not true. It's not true, as you'll see in a moment. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Being a child of Abraham was very important to them. And Jesus says, if you were really children of Abraham then you would be doing what Abraham did because kids reflect their parents whether you like it or not your kids are many copies of you they're little mini M-I-N-I copies of you they many way our kids reflect us both the good and we say yes and the not so good it's amazing to watch little mini copies of you run around the house isn't it and, and they, you know, you, you're really like, nobody's responding like that. No, I don't believe that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because you know what? When they get in trouble, you blame their mom, don't you? That's your kid. And when they get a straight A's, <laughs> look at my boy. Look at my boy. Yes. Of course we do. And there's so many characteristics. Of course, they have a uniqueness about them that God created in them. But there's so many characteristics that get carried over from us and our parenting. And one of the things I'm so grateful about parenting is, you know, you know, some of us, when we look at parenting, we're just like, man, I could have done so much better, and then probably we could have. But, you know, don't beat yourself up, because in your parenting, you did the best that you could with what you had. You did the best that you could with what you had. And, of course, if we could do it all over again, uh, we would. But we can't. And so we just love on our kids and point them in the ways of the Lord. And for some of you, you have the privilege of enjoying your grandchildren. Well, you get to just spoil the kid, grandkids and do it all over with them. Hype them up on candy and send them home. That's what you do. That's, I'm sure that's what you get to do. And I would say enjoy it. It's a privilege from the Lord. And here he's saying, if you were Abraham's kids, you would do the works of Abraham. And what were Abraham's works? He was a man of faith. Yes, he was. So if you were Abraham's children, you would be men of faith. You would be men of faith. Father Abraham is the father of faith. It's from Abraham that we learn that the just shall live by faith. That salvation comes through faith. It's, it's the grace of God. But their minds were on earthly things. They weren't doing the works of Abraham. In verse 40, it says, you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You guys are plotting to kill me. Abraham didn't kill. That wasn't, you're not like Abraham. It's almost like you can hear Jesus saying, stop claiming to be from Abraham. You're nothing like him. You're nothing like him. He wasn't a murderer like you. He was a lifesaver. And I want you to notice something. You might have picked it up in your reading as you read ahead. But go back to verse 37 and notice what Jesus says here. He refers to them as Abraham's descendants. Jesus agrees with them that they are descendants of Abraham. And in verse 39, though, he doesn't agree that they're Abraham's children. If you were Abraham's children. So Jesus says, yes, you're Abraham's descendants. But no, you're not his children. You go, what's the difference? What's the point that's being made? Here's what I think the point that's being made is. You have a lineage, but you lack relationship. You, you are blood-related to Abraham, yes, but you're not his kids. You're not related to him. You don't know him. You don't know God. You, you, don't have a re, you have a religious attitude, but you don't have a relationship. Literally, you are the physical offspring, but you're not the spiritual offspring, and so today, we may not talk about Abraham being our father at all. That's not a common thing at all. We we point to Jesus Christ. The shadows are over now. The substance has come. But I can say this: if if you go around talking to people about salvation, and say, "Are you a Christian?" Most likely, in the United States, you know what they're going to say: "Yes, of course I am." I mean, unless they're already associated with some other uh, false religion, they're they're going to say, "Yeah, I'm a Christian." And you go, "Well, what? What makes you a Christian?" So, well, I was born in America. Well, I mean, that's I'm a Christian. I was born in. I was my family went to church. I went to church with my family my whole life. You know, I was confirmed. I was baptized. I went through confirmation. There'll be a lot of things to describe how they have participated in religion. But the real question is: do you have a relationship with the living God? I mean, here's the answer. If somebody ever asks you, if you're a born-again believer, somebody ever asks you if you're a Christian, and they say, How do you know? It's a very simple answer. God revealed to me that I'm a sinner. He revealed that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me and rose again, and I submitted my life to Jesus Christ. And he says that I'm a follower. That's the answer. I'm a Christian because Jesus has invited me to follow him, and I follow him. I'm born again. It's that simple. That's the reality of it. It's not your religious expression. It's not that you read the Bible a hundred times. It's not that you pray and talk to God. It's not that you're in this church or that church. It's because Jesus Christ died for your sins. And now he has substituted his perfect life for your imperfect life. And what a substitution that means. It means the world. You are, you'll see in a moment, Jesus continues to walk them through the reality of salvation. That if you believe in me, you'll never die, he says again. But pick up with me in verse 41 now. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father... If you were God's kids, you'd love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Don't miss this. This has happened before. It's going to happen again. Jesus and his words are getting very, very close to the heart of the people. I mean, they're beginning, I believe, to bring the weight of conviction upon their lives. And notice what happens when Jesus gets close and challenging with his words. They immediately come back in verse 41 and they get personal. This is a dig, again, on the heritage of Jesus Christ. They are making fun, again, if you will, of his mother, calling her a fornicator, saying that he's illegitimate. We aren't a fornication like you, Jesus. We know where we came from. And they get personal. It's important for us to be remember, we've seen this before, but by way of reminder today that living in this world, you're going to face this kind of stuff. It's, it's going to be common. People, when they don't have a real answer to give, when, when they're done and you have given them the answers that they want, you've answered all their questions, and, and there you are standing on the facts, and they're not quite standing on the facts. When they don't have anything left to say, you know what they're going to do? They're going to get personal with you. They're going to go after you as a person and they're going to get deeply wanting to hurt you personally. You haven't done anything. There's no truth in what they say, but they're going to try to dig into you, to get you away from the facts, to get you off topic, and they'll get as personal as you let them. I've often said this. You can jot it down if you like. It's important as you're serving people to learn how to grow a thick skin and keep a soft heart. Usually the opposite happens. There's so much conflict and difficulty in life that people, they get a hard heart and then have a real soft outer where everything bothers them, everything bothers them. They're so hard-hearted, they just get harder and harder and harder. And people walk around with just, they just seem to be loveless because of the difficulties in life. But if you and I can learn how, well, how to grow a thick skin while keeping a soft heart, or even this, learning how to take things spiritual and not Personal. You know, once somebody can get you personally, emotionally all flipped out, it's pretty much over, isn't it? So you make fun of my mom? I make fun of your mom. You know, you think I'm ugly? Whoa, whoa, have you looked at them? you know, you're just like, come on. We're not in sixth grade anymore. Well, some of you might be in sixth grade. You might have some kids in here. But most of us, we're not in sixth grade anymore. And even in sixth grade, it wasn't appropriate. It's like, hey, you know what? Jesus doesn't take the bait. That's what I love about him. He just says, you know, I know where I came from. If God was your father, you'd love me. That tells me that what they said, getting personal and calling them names, is not a loving thing to do. I think that's pretty clear. When you call names, and you that, that's not from the Lord. The Bible says that let our mouths be words of edification. Let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth. How careful we need to be. Let me show you what love looks like in a small way. Go back over to 1 John chapter 2. Because John, he wrote a small letter and laid out some 36 times the word love. And I think he learned it from Jesus' first 10. Of course, if you want a demonstration or a display of love, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because that's what love looks like. But let's look at a few verses through 1 John on the topic of love, because parents, your children reflect you. And if you're a loving person, your kids are going to be loving. If you're a caring person, your kids are going to be caring. But if you are a bitter gossip, then your kids are going to be bitter gossips. And if you're a manipulator, your kids are probably going to end up being a little bit of that in their lives. And so let's see what the loving Father develops in our lives. In verse 5 it says, Whoever keeps his word, this is 1 John 2, verse 5, Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we're in him. So a believer, a child of God, has love being developed and growing and being perfected. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 11, 1 John. John says, This is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Love is going to, to seek a way. Love is going to cover a multitude of sins. Love is not going to be like Cain, wicked and evil, and, and all of the things that go with that, even to Cain to the point of, of killing literally, literally. You know, the, the, he, he took his brother out. And maybe it wouldn't be murder, you know, literally in your life, maybe maybe in your heart, but not in your life. But, you know, like Cain, just so bitter and angry toward someone where you're doing things that would hurt them on purpose. That's not love. Look at verse 14. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Whoever doesn't love his brother abides in death. Look at verse 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Love is the key characteristic that is found in every true believer. That's what makes us different. You know, even if you were a good person before, like you don't have this crazy testimony of a crazy life that you live, now all the good works that you do that you also did before are actually done differently differently. They're done now in the love of God, and that's different. A self-sacrificial love of God, and that's powerful. Very, very different. Look at chapter 5, verse 2 in First John. Chapter 5, verse 2. The text says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus, back in John chapter 8, is standing before a group of people. This is no small thing either. This would be the equivalent of the pastoral staff of our church or the lay leaders of our church, the people you would expect to have a relationship with God. Jesus is standing in front of those that have been appointed as the spiritual leaders on behalf of God, and he's telling them, you know what? You guys have no love in you. You keep claiming you're from Abraham, but your life, you know, you say one thing, but your life says something different. Verse 43. Why then do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You, and now Jesus is going to be straight up with them. You are of your father, the devil. If you're wondering what father I'm talking about, Jesus says, you're just of the devil. You're dad, you are are Satan's seed. That's who you are. You're just the devil. Now that, I that's a hard thing to tell someone. Wouldn't you agree? When's the last time you looked someone in the eye and you go, you know what? You're just the devil. Now, I'm not talking about what you thought. I talking about what you said. It's like, man, you're the devil. I mean, I, I really can't think back. I started trying to think of any time my memory would remember if I ever just looked someone in the eye and said that. I've been serving the Lord for 20 plus years. I mean, I've seen demonic stuff and I've seen some weird stuff. But this is a strong word that I believe Jesus is trying to shake in them the reality of their condition. It says, the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. I mean, these are hard words, but they're true. If love comes from the father, then it makes sense that hate comes from the devil. If truth comes from the father, then it makes sense that lies come from the devil. If life comes from the Father, then it makes sense that murder comes from the devil, plain and simple. And by the way, folks, we do believe in a real devil. We do believe the Bible teaches that Satan is real, that he is in opposition to everything that is God. That along with his pride, when he was cast out of heaven, many of the angels also followed him. And we believe that demons are real and that they're active in the world today. We believe that Satan, as the god of this world, is inspiring all sorts of things to kill, to steal, and to destroy. We believe that. And it's not something you can just say, well, you know, the Bible says this, and if you look at it this way, and if you take this interpretation, if you look at the Greek word, maybe it's just the devil's just a figment, or maybe the devil's just a metaphor. No, 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 you can't say that. You can't say that. Because by saying that, you're calling Jesus a liar. Now, are you willing to say that?
0: We're going through the Gospel of John one verse at a time here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. You can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at EdTaylor.org. And look for his podcast, Lead to Serve, on Apple Podcasts. That's Lead, the number two, Serve. There he discusses the value of servant leadership, I should also mention Abounding Grace is available by podcast. Hey, thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Steve Carr's very popular book, Married and How to Stay That Way. I don't have to cite the stats on divorce to convince you it's a real and growing problem in our world. But God's Word has just what we need to succeed in this lifelong commitment of marriage. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or make a request online at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. And if you just like to make a donation to the ministry and you're not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through John next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing
1: grace.